Hello, welcome everybody, SF Live. This is episode 239, and it is Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning, depending on from where you're watching or tuning in. And uh, we are doing a bit of an ASX special. We barely have any ASX companies on because I'm Vancouver-based. Time zone is usually a bit of a different, uh, you know, makes it more difficult to communicate and have guests on. But we managed to do A, stay in the office late, and B, find somebody who gets up early and uh, wanted to be on the program. So I'm excited to introduce uh, Shane Folk here in a few short seconds. He's the managing director over at Dundas Minerals. It's a brand new company. They only listed it in November 2021. And uh, we're going to run through the, the art of the deal, I call it. Uh, how did it all come together? Why did they list? Why not stay private? And all those good questions about the projects as well, of course. But uh, before I switch over to my guest, make sure to follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, hit the like and subscribe button. The likes really help with the YouTube algorithm, especially if you're dialing in from Australia. If you want to have your mates sort of uh, watch watch the video and the interview with uh, with Shane, make sure to share it and hit that like button. It's much appreciated and it definitely does help. And uh, now that I've said my piece, let me switch over to my guest and uh, let me use this camera and welcome Shane. It's good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Kai, or good afternoon to you in uh, in North America. Great to see you again. Likewise, it's been a while. We've known each other for a good number of years, so it's great to see you now at the helm of a company. And uh, why don't you start us off with a quick 30-60 second introduction to Dundas Minerals, Shane. Absolutely, Kai. Well, Dundas, as you said, we, we listed on the ASX in, in November of last year, and we have a 1,200-kilometre ground position in an area of Western Australia uh, called the Albany Fraser Origin. And the Albany Fraser is home to some uh, some fabulous uh, recent uh, discoveries, uh, the Tropicana Gold Deposit and the Nova, the extremely rich uh, Nova Nickel Deposit. So we're in that that highly prospective terrain, uh, 12 uh, exploration licences and, other, as I said, 1,200 square kilometres of ground. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, it's like you listed in November 2021, but usually a, a, a company doesn't get formed on day one and starts listing, right? When when did the journey start for Dundas Minerals? And tell me a bit about like, how did you acquire your licenses? How did that all come together? Yeah, look, a very interesting story. And you are, you are very correct. Uh, and probably people don't understand the uh, incredible amount of work that goes ahead uh, prior to listing. So Dundas Minerals started out in April 2020. And uh, the re or the way we acquired the tenements is really through um, some guidance received by our technical director, uh, Tim Horonsky. Uh, and, and I'll try and uh, make a long story very short, but uh, Tim, uh, his family ha ha are very friendly with a, a very successful prospector here in Western Australia. Uh, originally, uh, we wanted to uh, vend uh, some ground that that prospector had in the Patterson province which was home to Rio Tinto's uh, Winu uh, Copper and Gold Discovery. Uh, he had some tenements there. We wanted to vend those into Dundas. He advised us against that. He said uh, too much cover, too expensive uh, to work in the remote northern Patterson province. He said, I know of areas south of Nova, and, and Nova's the, 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 the fabulous uh, nickel deposit um, that's now run by Independence Group. He said, I know some areas south of, Dun of Nova, that have been uh, explored in the past before Nova was discovered. Uh, and there were some nickel, he was aware of some nickel and some gold hits in that area, but he said nobody has ever followed them up. He said to me, tell Tim Horonsky uh, to go and look on the, uh, the WAMAX database. This is our, our, uh, our public domain database here in Western Australia where all explorers are required to uh, lodge their exploration results. He said, tell Tim to look on, on WAMAX 
Uh, we looked on that. We found all the historical exploration. Very exciting uh, results uh, from the past that had never been followed up. The ground was open remarkably. Uh, so we started uh, pegging ground. Um, and our first tenement is act that we pegged is actually where we have our most exciting prospect at the moment, Matilda South. But, but that's the background, Kai. Uh, we spent uh, six to nine months uh, downloading and digesting public domain information and gradually increased our tenement position uh, to what it is today. So it's been quite a journey. Interesting. Yeah, it's like that, that whole process in Western Australia, in Australia works way different than a bit up here north in, in North America. Um, when, when it comes to like having all the data available, as well, like data right. available, right? Um, why, why do you think nobody's like you call in, in Canada, it's, pe it's staking in Australia, I think it's pegging, right? Uh, the, yes. the, those claims. So um, why hasn't that happened? Like, why was it neglected? Why was it overlooked? What do you think? Look, that is a fabulous question, and it, it really uh, goes back to uh, the assessment uh, by, uh, I think, uh, um, the um, Geology Australia or Geoscience Australia, where this part of the Albany Fraser historically, and we're talking before, and you've got to remember, before the Nova discovery, um, this part of Western Australia wasn't considered highly perspective. So, if we look back uh, before NOVA, and NOVA was only discovered in 2012, which is not very long ago, this area was classified as, as, as not very um, prospective. It was in an area called the Birinup Zone, um, and the Birinup Zone was considered not that fertile for mineral discoveries. But after NOVA, a lot of work was done on the Albany Fraser in this area. And in recent times, um, people have worked out, or geologists or geoscientists have worked out that this particular area doesn't form part of the Virunup zone. It's actually part of the reworked uh, Yilgarn or Yilgarn Craton. Um, and the, the rock ages and the rock types are significantly different than, uh, than previously thought. And the reason for this is because uh, most of our tenement area is covered by a layer of uh, calcrete, sand, or, or regolith, as the geologists call it, uh, between two and sort of 40 metres. So the understanding of the uh, bedrock type has really been via interpretation, uh, interpreting regional data sets. So um, the deepest hole, remarkably, in our whole uh, tenement package, the deepest hole, 64 metres deep, which is extremely shallow. The discovery hole at Nova, for example, was 192 metres deep. So Previous exploration has barely touched the surface. It's been forgotten about. And, and this is the sort of terrain where new discoveries and company-making discoveries are found. So we're in an extremely exciting uh, part of the Albany Fraser, to be honest. Yep. Well, you definitely have waterfront property right there. That's uh, that's for sure. So um, very great great location there. And um, scrolling through your presentation, like the, bush, the bushfires of 2019, 2020 were obviously devastating. But uh, you have a couple of graphics in your presentation that show that those forest fires are, or bushfires actually like sort of cleared the land for you to take a closer look at uh, outcrops and stuff. How is that helping and how did that help you sort of identify exploration targets? Oh, look, absolutely. This is, we've been extremely fortuitous. Um, this particular part of, of Australia where we are is what is classified as crown land or government land. Um, it, it's never been cleared for agriculture. Um, a little bit further south, um, it has been cleared. So it's, it's basically virgin um, uh, eucalyptus forest. And uh, over time, 
Uh, it gets very dense and hard to traverse. And, and this is what the previous explorers were dealing with as well. They were dealing with heavily vegetated areas. But as you mentioned, uh, back in 2019-20, uh, there was lightning, uh, started some uh, wildfires, as you call them in North America, and um, burned nearly the majority of, of what is now our tenement areas. Now, for us, this has been almost a once-in-a-generation opportunity. What it's allowed us to do for the very first time, for example, is, is put a ground-based uh, gravity crew on the ground, and they have conducted a, a tenement-wide gravity survey uh, one kilometre lines with 500 metre gravity stations all the way across our 1,200 square kilometres. And this really has been the catalyst for the Matilda South prospect, also our northeast prospect. And as we continue to work through the gravity data, we're finding more interesting um, anomalies and, and future prospects. So really, we've been extremely fortunate, Kai, um, with, with the benefits that have stemmed from this uh, clearing of the, of the vegetation by fire. Yep. Before we dive deeper into the projects, and you, you have, like, I would call them three main projects, although main is a wide definition, like we got to talk about that. But uh, let's catch up on cap structure real quick, because I want to make sure that you're properly capitalized to, to, to do some work and maybe discuss uh, some, some budgets for the year. Um, 60 million shares outstanding yep. as, as of listing. Um, how much cash in the bank? And uh, tell us a bit more about the shareholder structure. Absolutely. So as you correctly mentioned, we have uh, 60 million shares on issue. We raised uh, 6 million, we were oversubscribed. We raised the maximum $6 million uh, at, at IPO. And at the end of our first quarter, which is the December 31 quarter here in Australia, I had about $5.3 million in the bank. Um, now, in terms of the capital structure of those 60 million shares, um, approximately 50% um, of those are put into escrow. In other words, um, they, they cannot be traded on the ASX because they either belong to the, the uh, vendors like myself or, or people associated with the initial IPO. So the free float is actually around 32, 34 million on, on, on the ASX. Um, so in terms of the cash burn, um, most of the money we're spending is, of course, uh, going into the, into the ground. And, and I'd, I'd expect... Um, you know, to, to have around um, $4 million by, by the half year, Kai. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's your calendar year end, I'm assuming, is uh, June 30th, I'm guessing. Is that uh, your calendar year end? Uh, my financial year end is that's June what I mean. 30th. <laughs> and of course, the, uh, yeah, yeah, the calendar. Is, uh, so by the financial year, you know, we'd expect yeah. to have some, somewhere around that, that $4 million. And most of the money, of course, is going into the ground in, into our exploration projects. Yeah. Got, gotcha, gotcha, I hear you there. Um, directors of management own 37.7% according to your presentation. That, that That's a good chunk. Um, how did you acquire those? I think you hinted at it that you got them in return for some of the properties. Absolutely. So that that's really a reflection of, of the 18 months of work, uh, um, you know, sweat equity, I guess people often call it, but it's really about the 18 months of work leading up to the to the IPO, which has been a, a full-time job and uh, and certainly um, it, it, some sort of reward. Um, of course, those those shares, you know, can never be um, uh, liquidised or, or sold for some period of time. But but that's the basis of, of that equity, Kai, is all that sweat equity leading up to the IPO. Yeah. No, fair fair enough. Fair enough. That makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, let's talk about who you plan to spend the $4 million, or the, the, the money, actually, the $5.2, $5.3 million. Um, only $1.3 million is earmarked for the next six months, it sounds like, or next eh, four and a half months. We're already mid-February. Yeah. Um, what are you going to spend the funds on, and uh, what, what does that look like? Yeah, 
Look, uh, as you know, with expiration, uh, the funding position and, and, and the cash flow changes with opportunities, um, with the uh, progression of the various uh, prospects through, through the pipeline to, towards, um, you know, expiration. Um, look, the road ahead uh, is quite, um, in many ways, quite, quite simple for us and quite vanilla for the sort of nickel uh, and gold prospects we're looking for. Um, the next piece of work um, will be um, some ground-based geophysical surveys uh, and money will be spent um, doing electromagnetic surveys and AMT surveys on the ground. And what we're looking for there, Kai, is we're looking for in these ultramafic uh, gravity anomalies that we've interpreted, we're looking for areas of conductivity, areas of sulphide. So we'll be announcing very soon the dates for the, um, the ground-based uh, additional geophysics work. Um, and then after we uh, get the information back from that geophysics, that's interpreted. If we have some conductors, which we, which we hope so, um, that is the place that we'll follow up for drilling. And drilling realistically, um, drilling the next big round of drilling on our new prospects guy is likely to be towards the middle of, of this year. So, so that's the plan looking forward. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Like I really liked it. And I mentioned that to you. Like your slide 15 is always one of my favorite slides in a corporate deck because it, it, it outlines sort of like I printed it out here. It's like I was t I was told to show more graphics in my interviews, but uh, um, I'm a one man show. I need to work on that. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm a one man show here on SF Live. But uh, it really I laid it lays out exactly like what you're planning and uh, it's a, it earmarks the end of February H1 trill plan. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but let's, let's talk about the projects in detail. And uh, which, which one would you say is your main project, project of focus? You've recently made a discovery on Matilda South, but you also have Kokoda and uh, Jumbok as well. So is there a main project? Or are they all like equally uh, attractive? Uh, no, I think, um, look, the Kokoda and Jumbuck prospects, um, these were uh, legacy uh, prospects where previous uh, very um, superficial exploration had, had been undertaken and uh, Jumbuck is, our, is a, as a nickel prospect uh, at that location. There'd been some previous um, nickel reported in, in a couple of drill holes, um, but that was previously explored for gold. And, and this, again, the Jumbuck prospect was explored before the Nova nickel deposit was ever discovered in the Albany Fraser, sort of 2011 and Nova was discovered in 2012. So we've gone back, we've put some more drilling into Jumbuck and we just completed that program last week. Kokoda is very similar to Jumbuck. Um, that was a gold project though, um, previously explored very superficially. So we've gone back and done some drilling at and well. So, so these are, for, are our first sort of, um, if you like, familiarisation pro, um, projects. Um, you, you know, whether or not we'll get some uh, interesting drill results, uh, we'll wait and see, um, but that, that will be announced um, probably more likely um, early March heading into, into April. Um, but really the exciting projects are the things that we're finding from the, the gravity surveys and, and, and these are the potential uh, company making um, uh, discoveries and exploration projects and and of course it is Matilda South this very um, deep big uh, mafic ultra mafic anomaly and then northeast uh, we're hoping uh, to find something similar the detailed gravity survey at northeast is completing in a couple of days the data should be back um, by the end of this week and then we'll see what we have up there so northeast potentially as good or interesting as Matilda South then we have another area called central that we're working up as well and we'll, we'll release uh, the results of that as well when it comes out so these are the, are the, are the big interesting um, 
projects or prospects that we're working up, Kai, and we're, we're very quite excited. And these are the areas where we'll go and do the ground-based geophysics to, to follow up. Okay, so I like when companies do systematic exploration, right? And I, like I'm always struggling with companies that say, well, we're exploring with a drill, and you guys are obviously not doing that. You have a lot of sniffs, you have some information. Like, there was some air core drilling, I think, done on the project Matilda South before as well, right? Absolutely, and and this uh, remarkably by a Canadian company, Kai. So <laughs> the, the history is quite fascinating at Matilda South, um, a Canadian group. Um, called Goldport um, came out here um, and in uh, 2005 they identified this particular area in Western Australia as, as the one area that, that they were looking for very big iron oxide copper gold deposits and they actually landed in where we have Matilda South and uh, they did some soil geochemistry and as their first phase and they found some anomalies in the soil geochemistry. They then followed up with some air core drilling remarkably very, very wide spaced, one and two kilometres between holes. Um, they didn't really think they had much when, when, the, when, the, um, when they looked at the, um, the results from the drilling. But then they got the assays back and, wow, there's some anomalies in there for nickel, for zinc, for copper. And the geologists at, at Goldport um, recommended uh, to, their, to their directors that they needed to do some deeper drilling. And remember, the deepest drill hole at Goldport was only 64 metres. The top of the um, South, Matilda South anomaly that we've modelled is 70 metres, so they were just short. So they um, wanted to do some deep drilling, Kai. They never received the funds to do that. Okay. The company dropped the ground, and here we have it today. It's just remarkable. Yeah, yeah it's it's interesting. Like, when, isn't it one of the general mining rules in mining? It's usually the third one makes the discovery, third company makes the discovery on the project. And if we do, we will be the third company to hold this tenement. A company called Segway held it after Goldport. They dropped it without doing any work. We will be the third company. So it, it, let, let us hope that <laughs> that, that, that adage pays off, Kai. Yeah. Fantastic. No, the, the, the story is mining rights, right? Like it's it's really interesting. That's one of the reasons maybe I like the mining industry so much because it's uh, other people's failures or other people's successes, right? It's uh it's it's really interesting, see, right? We see it all the time, Kai. We absolutely see it all the time. Yeah, yeah. like I've I think I've sat in countless meetings where the conversation went, well, they drilled the wrong way, or well, they they stopped short of the the the, the target horizon, like you just uh, like you just explained. So that's going to be really interesting. Um, I just want to follow back real quick on Jumbuck. You did some drilling there. Um, just essay turnaround time. You mentioned late March, early April. Um, I just want to elaborate on that just to see if it's the same in Australia as it's in North America. How bad is essay uh, or lap turnaround times in, in Australia? Are they bad actually, or what's the situation? No, they are, Kai. And and we, got, we we've sort of been caught up in that Christmas New Year period where there was a, a bit of a build up of, of or backlog, I guess, an extra backlog. But realistically, you know, now we're looking at. Um, two months um, sort of minimum turnaround um, flowing out to sometimes three months if you're in iron ore or in gold it's probably longer than that but for the sort of assays we're doing it's, it's realistically it's minimum two months Kai so probably where we thought we'd be in a position to announce something uh, on Kokoda um, at the uh, end of February that's probably going to roll over into March and then the first jumbuck results maybe towards the end of March, but they could even roll over into April. But look, we're annoying the labs as much as we can, but you know <laughs> we're just one of many that are, are ringing up, pushing to get their samples done. Yeah, but I think the situation might be a bit worse in North America. Yeah. Oh, it's it's terrible out here as well. Like 
turnaround times from t like six, eight months. Like companies are still releasing summer, like July drill holes. So yeah, it's uh, it, it is ridiculous in that regard. Um, I, I saved the hottest topic for last, and that's the loyalty options. Okay, yeah. that's a concept that is completely new to me. I haven't seen that before, and I think you'll have to explain that one to our audience. Yeah, no, happy to. And, and this is we're seeing this is a growing trend here in Australia with the small caps. Um, so what the loyalty option is, or a warrant, I think, as you would call it in, in North America, um, for shareholders uh, on the register, the company issues a free, free of charge warrant or option to buy a share in the future at a, a predetermined strike price. So in, in our case, in Dundas's case, um, all of our shareholders that are on the register as of close of trade Wednesday, so they've bought their shares before trading on Wednesday night, that's tomorrow here in Australia, each of those shareholders, for every two Dundas shares they hold, they'll receive one free warrant or option with a strike price of 30 cents, um, which is 50% above our IPO price, and an exercise or an expiry date of uh, expiring in two years' time, so towards the end of February in 2024. And this is great for both the shareholders and for the company. Um, as we know um, and as we observe in the market, when junior explorers do find a significant discovery, often without very little notice, their share price will escalate substantially um, and the uh, underlying shareholders um, typically um, they might not be able to benefit directly by that uh, except for the number of shares they hold. But what it allows them to do then is have a windfall gain, exercise their option, in our case of 30 cents, the company gets the benefit of the capital flowing in and the shareholders for their support of the company get the opportunity to make a windfall gain. So really it's a it's a win-win on, on both sides. And, and as I said, here in Australia at the junior end of the market, this concept is becoming uh, much more prevalent. We're seeing it a lot more in the market, Kai. Interesting, like in, in Canada, we usually do those, uh, let's, let's call them warrant issuances or option issuances as part of a financing, right? Yes. As it's a sort of, we call it the sweetener. Um, as part of a financing, I'm not sure. Like depending on which you know um, camp you're in, if you're an investor, of course you want the warrant slash option. If you're a company, you don't necessarily want to issue those. And let me play devil's advocate here, uh, yeah. Shane. Um, why do you feel the need to do that right now? You're a new company. You don't really have to incentivize anybody because you haven't put out any drill. Like you're not further, like not too far advanced down the exploration road or pipeline, like the roadmap or whatever you want to call it, and um, the other thing is, like, aren't don't you think you put an artificial cap on your share price when people start exercising those options into a rising share price? Oh, so, so the first thing is, um, the first part of your question is, is, is why do it now? And I think um, there are so many IPOs on the market here in Australia. Uh, this is a great way to engage shareholders and reward the people that have not only subscribed to the IPO, but also hung on in there for at least the first, the first three months. Um, so it's part of that whole um, getting the brand out there, getting the company out there. Now, in terms of putting a, a cap on the share price, I think what we see here is that um, the, the valuation of the company um, when, when a discovery is made, really for a decent discovery, it's never been, it's never hindered by, by any options or warrants out on issues. You see all the time the share price just bursting through uh, that exercise um, price of the, of the warrants. 
And what you do remember is often when you do a, a secondary capital raise, Pi, um, and, and you'll be involved with some perhaps um, at your end, is, is traditionally, um, you know, you, you'll raise that through a broking firm and they will say, oh, well, you need to discount your share price, um, you know, 15, 20% to, to get new money to come in. Uh, then we'll take our 5 or 6% fee. So often uh, what the company finds is that they're, uh, they're discounting their share price by up to 25, 30% by the time they pay, um, you know, the broker fee and, and discount to, to, to get people to come in. So with the warrants, you get the full 30 cents. The company gets the full 30 cents. The loyal shareholders get the, get, get the uplift. And effectively, that, that, they don't get diluted um, yeah. by new, new incoming capital because they're the original shareholders. So, so that's why I think um, these, these products here in Australia, and maybe the trend is starting in North America, but these products are becoming much more prevalent in the market. It's interesting how the Canadian and Australian markets are similar, but some, in some things they're very different. It's, mm. And uh, I'm still learning about those differences because the Australian ASX market is not a market I feel at home in. So it's I, I love expanding my horizon in that regard. Shane, ver one very last question before we wrap this up here. Uh, and I made note of permitting uh, here. Yes. Um, what does that look like for your project, Matilda South in particular, since this will be the focus? Are you, If you wanted to drill tomorrow, could you? Uh, no, no. The short answer is no. There is a permitting process. Uh, look, we're extremely lucky that we are on government land, um, but that land also uh, has been uh, granted native title. So the Indigenous groups have, have what we call a native title rights over the area. But we have a heritage, what we call a heritage protection agreement uh, with that Indigenous group. So in order to drill, there are two quite simple uh, permitting processes. Uh, the first one is through uh, the Department of Mines. And that is simply um, submitting your, your drilling locations uh, and your drilling plans. And that's an online approval process. Takes between sort of, you know, six weeks, six to eight weeks maximum. So that's the first part. And then the second part, which is dealing, uh, talking with the Indigenous uh, landowners and, and explaining the program to them, that can be running parallel with the uh, official approval process. And that really is, again, a fairly straightforward process. We submit the location. We do a field visit um, with, with the traditional owners. Um, they have a look at where we're drilling, making sure there's no um, sites of significance that we're going to disturb. And in our area, because it's, I mean, you can see the photograph behind it, it's very red earth. There's no sort of outcropping rocks. Uh, there's very few areas that are of significance, but we do that clearance process. And then once we get those two, um, approvals, then we're right to drill. So really, it's a it's a six generally a six to eight week process. So if we think about Matilda South, we think about completing the EM work by the end of March, um, putting in our our programs in April, getting approvals sort of towards the end of May, early June, and really starting to drill in that June period, which is our winter over here. Um, it's not a very wet area where we are uh, where we're working, but gets about two hundred millimeters of rain a year. Um, so, uh, and it's actually probably one of the better uh, times of the year to be drilling in June, nice and cool and easy for the guys on the rigs to work. So that's what we're looking at, Kai. Yeah. It looks fairly dry behind you. So yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I'd go with dry, drier area. But although it looks like it could get quite sticky when it gets wet. So yeah, it can do. So we have to be quite careful. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Shane, fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, 
good good luck on the exploration side. I'm sure we'll hear from each other. We'll we'll speak again very soon. And uh, re- appreciate everybody tuning in. This was SF Live episode 239. We had uh, Shane Folk. He's a CEO and managing director of uh, Dundas Minerals, and uh, we do appreciate his time. It's uh, 7 a.m. in the morning. 7:30 now. About. Uh, it's like it's 8:30 here in Perth. Oh, so okay. Oh, late yeah, late, yeah. late start to the day there. So. Um, Fantastic. No, I appreciate it, Shane. Yeah. It was great seeing you again. Uh, good good, uh, good luck out there, of course, and we'll chat. We'll mm-hmm. stay in touch. And everybody else, follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter. Hit that like button as well. It tremendously helps with the algorithm. We do appreciate it. And thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back with more very soon.